Awesome. Amen. You guys happy today? It's been an incredible morning already, hasn't it? I love it when we just kind of really get out of our comfort zone and worship and we just start to really go for it. And then all of a sudden you notice the, the Lord comes in and he begins to really minister to us. Amen. I think too many churches, not this one, thankfully, but too many churches are, are so oriented in, 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 in people come to church saying, I want the Lord to minister to me. But our first priority is to come minister to Him. And then He ministers to us. It's just the way He is. He's good that way. And so um, I love, I love, I want to say this too, you know, um, I, I, for all of my adult life, have been going to the same church. And uh, just about a year ago now, at the beginning of, of 2019, uh, Michelle and I, my wife Michelle, if you don't know her, she's right over here. She's amazing. There's the Michelle fan club is on this side. No one over here. You should sit on this side. Anyway, um, but uh, my wife, Michelle, is awesome. We have our four kids uh, who you've probably seen running around. Um, but uh, we, we, we've gone to that church. Um, it's, for me, it's been like 25 years. And it was not a small decision uh, to, to decide that we needed to find a new place to come. And um, so we started to look, and we very quickly really felt like this was home. And so... We're really, really happy to be here, and we're thankful for all of you guys. Um, and uh, it is really cool that all these years later we get to, to run together. Um, and, uh, of course, we're running with Jose and Dana in the Heart of David crew and uh, loving that. So the Lord is doing some awesome things. I, but you can imagine after 25 years in the same church, I'm still like kind of getting my feet under me here. And, and I'm only here about 50% of the time. Sorry. So I travel a lot. Uh, sort of like similar to Jose, I'm, I'm, I'm out and, and our ministry um, is, uh, we travel to a lot of different churches, either just in the, in the greater Philadelphia area or sometimes nationally, internationally, whatever it is. So there's a lot of times I'm not here, uh, but my heart is here and we're connected here and this is home. And so give me some grace with names because I'm still working on names, but I'm going to get some names down. And um, as much as we do things on a regional level, I believe very, very strongly in the local church and in having a local church family. And so this is it for us, and we're excited about that. I'm excited to share today. So thank you, Dave, for the opportunity. I want to say what an incredible... Guys, if you don't know, I get to see a lot of other churches. I'm just telling you, we have incredible leadership here. And uh, we need to be... I know, I know we're thankful for that, but I just want to underscore that. Thankful for... Uh, Dave and Michelle and Josh and Lauren and the whole, everybody who makes everything happen here. Amen? Amen. So let's pray and we'll dive in. Father, I thank you for what you've already done today. Lord, I thank you now for building upon what has already happened. Lord, continue to, to build in us, Lord, living stone upon living stone, Lord, cause us to become a sanctuary, a habitation for you, Lord. Lord, that you would continually dwell and, and reside and abide in us and us in you. So, Father, today I thank you for uh, gracing me, Lord, to just help impart some, something to those who hear this morning. So, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. So, we're going to, yeah, we're going to dive in here. We are, uh, this, this message this morning called New Decade, New Mouth, Receive and Release His Word. Now, that's probably not going to make a whole lot of sense to you yet, but we'll get there, all right? So, I want to lay some groundwork. Um, some teaching type stuff, and then we'll dive into a little bit more of, uh, of some of the Word. And um, 
We are in a season where, uh, how many of you know that, that the Lord works in times and seasons? And so we have to really, if we can discern the times and seasons for, of what God's doing and how He's moving, then, then we're not swimming upstream quite so much. You know what I mean? When you go with the wind, that always is better than trying to go against the wind, right? And I'm not talking about, you know, there's some things culturally we have to go against, right? But I'm saying, sometimes God's saying, this is, what, this is what I'm breathing on right now. And when we find that and we just try to go with what He's doing, I'll tell you, it makes life a lot happier, <laughs> you know? And so, um, so it says in the Bible, if, if you're familiar um, with the different tribes of Israel, there were, there were, of course, 12 tribes. One of those tribes was the tribe of Issachar. And the tribe of Issachar, it says in the Bible that the tribe of Issachar understood the times and seasons and what Israel ought to do. So there's two things there. There's number one, understanding the times and seasons, discerning what time are we in? What kind of a season is this in the earth? What's God doing? Right? But that's only half of it. Because the next part is, then what are we supposed to do with that? How many of you have ever had this experience, happens to me, all the time, where you're like, you discern that God's saying something to you, and then you're like, that's great. Now, what in the world do I do with that? Come on. Who's been there, right? You know, because what happens sometimes is there's, there's a, a progression that God wants to take us through from revelation to understanding to wisdom. Those are all biblical terms that mean different things, and there's a, a progression there that takes you from just knowing something to knowing what you're supposed to do with that something. And so we're in those times where the, the sons of Issachar knew the times and seasons, but they also knew what Israel ought to do. Uh, and so we're in this moment where we want to we kind of dive into this and we want to look at what God's saying. So we actually have started a new Hebrew year in October. How many of you knew that, right? Because I know, I know Dave's laid a lot of groundwork here. See, if I go, sometimes when I go places, they don't have any idea. But we started a new year in October of this year, uh, according to the, the Hebrew calendar. Now, God says, I have times and I have seasons that I've ordained and I've orchestrated. And I, that doesn't mean that we, we don't understand that we have another calendar that our nation generally accepts, right? But as a spiritual people, we need to understand God's timing and God's calendar. Does that make sense? So we have crossed over already into a new decade. Not just a new year, but a new decade. And so we're in the Hebrew year 5780, and we've crossed over from the 5770s to the 5780s. Now that, of course, you know that, right? You knew, you knew that 70 came before 80. That was not something you just learned right now. But I, I want to I break down what that actually means in a moment here. So, uh, but first, let me do this. Let me explain a little bit about the Hebrew language. And again, I know, I, you know, again, being here, being somewhat new, I don't know how much maybe you've gotten some foundation on this, but just so we're on the same page. Um, Hebrew is actually, uh, every letter in Hebrew is actually a number. So in Hebrew, they don't actually have, they don't have numbers. They just have the letters and they have 22 letters in their alphabet. And each one of those letters represents a number. You following me? So they've only got A, B, C, D. They don't have one, two, three, four, right? So that, that's something we need to understand. And then secondly, Hebrew at its root is a pictorial language. 
So, not so much now with the modern letters of Hebrew, but ancient Hebrew, every letter was telling a story. So, what that means then is when you start to break some things down, sometimes you can learn something from uh, even the letters in a word as far as what that word really means. It's really profound. So, here's a quick example of that, okay? Just, just again, we're laying some foundation here. So right there, what you have on the, on the right side of the screen is you have the Hebrew word, the Hebrew spelling of the word shalom. Now, you probably know the word shalom means peace. That's how we express it, right? We say peace. Uh, but it's much bigger than that. And so you can learn that from, from this breaking down some of the letters here. So the very first letter, all the way on the right, because Hebrew is read from the right to the left, that first letter is a shin. And it actually looks like it's supposed to give you the picture of like three teeth. Or, or, and it's like a devouring kind of a thing. It's a, it's a destroying kind of thing. Well, right away, what does that have to do with peace? Right? Maybe we're going to get a little bit of different understanding here of what this is all about. So, uh, you've got the shin, and then the next one is the lamed, and it's the... The, uh, uh, it's a staff or authority. It would kind of look like a shepherd's crook or a, a staff or a rod of authority. All right? And so the third one there is the, is the vav. It's the one that looks almost straight. And it was, it was meant to sort of represent a nail or something that connects. And so like the first time vav is used in the Bible, it's in the very, very first chapter, very, very first verse of the Bible. It says, In the beginning, God created heaven and earth, or heaven, vav, earth. And so there's a, it's a connecting word. It's a, it's a connecting thing. And so then the, next, uh, the, the uh, last letter there is mem. And this one is probably the most different in terms of the way it looks now versus the way it would have looked in the, in the ancient Hebrew. And in the ancient Hebrew, this looked like basically a horizontal squiggly line. So now it looks very different. But it would have represented, the horizontal squiggly line would have represented waters or chaos. What does any of that, what, do, what does destroying and chaos have to do? Well, how about this? Shalom then means destroying the authority of everything in your life that binds you to chaos. That's awesome, isn't it? So I, I love like, if I share this with people, the light bulb goes on. Oh, wait a minute. Now, like, I understand what shalom is. Because too often we're just like, we think shalom is like, hey, hippie, hippie dudes. You know, like, listen, this isn't no hippie dude thing. This is a powerful, destroying force that destroys everything that the enemy tries to bring into your life to bind you to chaos. It, it is something. See, this is why. See, Jesus lived in perfect shalom. So he's on the boat with fishermen. These guys were fishermen. And they're panicking. Now, I, I, I fly a lot of flights, right? And the worst flight I've ever flown was a flight, it was like a 45-minute flight. Worst flight I've ever had. Short. Scary. From Amarillo, Texas. No, I'm sorry, Dallas, Texas to Amarillo, Texas. 40, there you go. Texas in the house. And I was sitting next to people that are white-knuckling anything they can, holding on to things, trying to like... They are shouting profanity. (laughs) 
I mean, it was that turbulent on the plane. I've never been on a flight like that. And I was just kind of chuckling. Because first of all, I knew, I knew, see, as long as my assignment on earth isn't done, I'm good. I thought, you know, y'all just should be glad I'm here because I can't go home yet. So I couldn't really explain that to them. They weren't really hearing logic at that moment. But I was like, my angels got this. Don't worry. <laughs> but but it, it was just funny. But, but the other reason I really wasn't scared was because the flight attendants weren't scared. Now, if you're on a flight and the flight attendants are going, oh my God, we're going to die. You know, that's the time to panic, right? That's the time to start praying. Are you following me? Okay. So Jesus is on a boat with fishermen. And the fishermen are going, oh my God, we're going to die. They knew what kind of storm could take them out. They'd been on that sea so many times. They knew the storm that could, could destroy them. And Jesus is sleeping through the storm because he lived in perfect shalom. So then what, does, what happens is they, they wake him up. And I can only imagine, I mean, I'm, I'm taking some license here that Jesus was probably like, dude, I minister to people all the time. All I want is a little nap. You couldn't let me get my nap, you know? And they're like, we're going to die. Don't you care? And he stands up. And in Hebrew, he would have said, Shalom. He would have spoken the peace that destroys the authority attached to all the chaos over the wind and over the waves and over the water. And he would have destroyed it with a word. That's what you're doing when we speak Shalom over one another. It's what God's doing when he speaks Shalom over us. He's destroying every little vestige of chaos that's in your life. It's a powerful, powerful image. Now, we live in a culture where we're still thinking hippie peace stuff, but if you understand the Hebrew letters and what this word really means, all of a sudden you have a whole other understanding of this. This is a powerful force. Amen? That's why it says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet in Romans chapter 16. I'm a, I was a, well, what, what, do you, what does that have to do with anything? Listen, peace is a powerful thing. So, come on, this is, a, this is a kingdom conquering force. So I was just getting ready to tell someone to go to the next slide, and then I was like, oh, that's me. <laughs> I love the power. All right, so here we are. Uh, we are crossing over. I, now, that was all, that, that whole shalom thing was just an example, right? So you understand the power of understanding the, uh, the letters and the, the symbolism of Hebrew. We're crossing over from 70 to 80. Now, 70 is the Hebrew letter ayin. And it represents an eye. Or it's actually even the same word for color. It has to do with, with things that you perceive. And so we've been in a season that has to do with our eyes. But now we've crossed over to pay. And pay represents the mouth. So we're now in a new decade and this is why it's important to understand what God's doing, because not only are we in a moment where we've crossed over into pay, but I really believe uh, prophetically we're in a convergence where we've crossed over from the, the eye season and we're going into the season of the mouth, but now we're also moving into 2020. 
So what God's been doing in the season of 70 over this last decade is he's been trying to get your eyesight right. He's been trying to work on you and say, do you see what I see? Do you perceive what I perceive? Do you see that that person in your life is not to annoy you, but to make you better? (laughs) Have you been able to flip your perspective yet? Because that's what God's trying to do with us. And have you ever heard somebody say to you, if they did say it to you, they were kind of being sarcastic or snarky? You know, you've got two eyes and one mouth. You've got two ears and one mouth. You ever hear somebody say that? Somebody who talks too much is usually who you say that to. You know, like you're saying, listen more. You've got two ears and one mouth. You've got two eyes. Look more and speak less. Listen more and speak less. Why? Because it's always important to have your vision aligned before you speak. Because if you speak without seeing what God sees, you're not going to speak what God's heart is. But now we're coming to a convergence moment prophetically. I'm just sharing this, if you can understand this prophetically. A time where we're coming to 2020, where God's aligned our vision. We've crossed over from 70, and now we're going to 80, where it's time now to release the sound of what God's saying. And so God is is going to be uh, uh, breathing on us, I really believe, to, to begin to speak His Word in a much greater way. Amen? So, it's payday. <laughs> Come on. And you know, when we, when we talk about let God arise, Psalm 68, it says extol Him who rides on the clouds. You know, I just often wonder sometimes, what about the clouds? If we brought this temperature in this room very, very low, what about the clouds that come out of us? Is that the, are those the clouds He rides on? Is it our breath? Is it our worship? Is it our praise? Is it us speaking His Word? I don't know if that's what the Scripture is really talking about, but it could be. So it's payday and it's time to speak. And what God's doing is we're in a season where the voice of the Lord is being manifested and we are increasingly learning to be His mouthpiece. Now, do you know that there's only maybe one, uh, well, two or maybe three times in all of Scripture where God seems to thunder audibly in a public setting. That happens maybe twice, right? And when it did, half the people didn't even hear it. They went, uh, was that thunder? That's literally what happened. So my question to you is, how does the voice of the Lord come forth? Look at your neighbor and say, it comes forth through you. (laughs) Don't you hate it when people do that? Make you look at your neighbor and say things? I do, but I'm actually the one who has the microphone, so I get to do it now. It's, it's kind of like a passive-aggressive thing. You hate to do that. <laughs> a payback. Nicely done. But we are, we really are. Listen, you and I are the mouthpiece of God. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute, but here's what's happening. God is raising up His people to be a voice to those who have wrongly used authority and abused power. Father is birthing a freedom movement through deliverers who stand in His counsel and release His decrees. That's you. That's me. Now listen, I want to tell you one other convergence that I believe prophetically is very important. 
we've come to a convergence of a 400-year anniversary. And I was actually just in Mobile, Alabama just a couple of days ago connected to all this. But we have come to a place where there, in 1619, through Virginia Beach, the very first slave ship arrived into our nation. Now that was 400 years ago. What in the world does that have to do with anything? Well, Abraham was told this by God. God said to him, he said, know this for sure. Your descendants are going to live in a land that is not their own and they'll be treated as slaves for 400 years. But after that, I'm going to bring them out and deliver them with much substance. So we're in a season where we've come to 5780, we've come to 2020, and we've come to the 400th year of these slaves first arriving in our nation. Now, what, I, I understand you're probably wondering, uh, what in the world does that have to do with me? Some of you maybe, you know, may have African-American ancestry, you may be connected to that. Some of you may not, but I'm telling you, it, it touches us all. And here's why. First of all, if you are a part of the African-American community, then I believe God is breathing on our brothers and sisters in the African-American community in a profound way. So in August, I went down with my friend, Dr. Joe Green, who is an African-American man, and started a thing called the 2019 Movement that was all about this 400-year anniversary. And we prayed at the very place where those slave ships came in. And as an African-American man, he stood and released what he calls a prayer of forgiveness, which says, as horrible as all this stuff was, we choose to forgive. 400 years, now it's time to come out. And so we're finding that, that there's something happening there that God's doing. I was in Mobile, Alabama, because that's the place where the last slave ship came in. They just discovered two years ago that there was a slave ship that came in uh, 50 years after the slave trade was illegal. Two knuckleheads made a bet with each other and said, hey, I bet you can't get some slaves through the, through the blockades and the ports and the, all this kind of stuff. Can you imagine two guys on a bet taking 110 people from their homeland, ripping them away from everything they've known, throwing them on a boat, and bringing them to, to the United States so they could be treated as property. So we were in Mobile, Alabama to say, Lord, we're closing the loop. This has come full circle. We've been to the place of the first slave ship. We've now been to the place of the last slave ship. And Lord, we're praying over every slave ship in between, every bloodline still connected with that. It's time for a freedom movement. Yeah. And so... That obviously is directly impacting the African-American community, and we want to see God do amazing things in that community where there's still trauma that has been reverberating in their hearts from all these things. We want to see God bring His healing. Amen? But I'm telling you this. This narrative of slavery has been wrapped around the narrative of our nation for 400 years. And everything we've seen that's been good and holy about what God wants to do through our nation, there's also been the defilement of this slavery piece. It's going all the way through it. But now, we're at a 400-year season where God's raising up the deliverers. What did He do when it was time for Israel to come out of Egypt? He raised up Moses. And Moses is actually one of the perfect pictures of this new season because the Hebrew tradition is 
that at 80 years old, Moses received a new mouth. Now think about it. Moses is 40 years in Egypt. And then, if you know the story, he has this, this you know, he kills the, the Egyptian and, and he has to flee Egypt. And he, he leaves for the desert and he's 40 years in the desert and he's tending sheep in the desert and he's given up on everything that was really always in his heart, which was to help his brothers back in, in Egypt. And God appears to him in a burning bush at 80 years old. And he says, Moses, I got a job for you. What was Moses' objection? Exodus 4.10 Then Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now, here's the crazy part. Moses is saying this as if it's a bad thing. And, you know, it, 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 he, was, he was saying, I, I'm not a good speaker, right? But here's the irony, is that word slow is the, is the Hebrew word kaved, and it's the same root word as the Hebrew word kavod, which means the weight or the glory of God. So Moses is saying to God, I've got this weighty tongue, I've got this weighty mouth that doesn't work right. And God's saying, Moses, you have a weighty mouth, you have a weighty tongue. Same words, different understanding. It's almost like God tricks him into saying it. <laughs> Come on, how many of you ever gotten sneak attacked by the Lord? You know, he does it. He does it, you know what I'm saying? And so, it's almost like Moses says, Lord, I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue, and God says, that's why I picked you. And so, you know, but God deals with Moses, and because this is his objection, he says to Moses, so the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth. I love how God says that. I will be with your mouth. How many of you need God to be with your mouth? Come on. <laughs> I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. Well, I'm telling you, that's the promise for us. And I'm telling you that in this season where God's saying it's 400 years, it's time for salvation and deliverance to break out in this nation. Do you know that those first slaves came in through the very same port where Robert Hunt planted a cross just 12 years prior and said, we dedicate this nation to the Lord Jesus and to the preaching of the gospel? Same exact place. I'm telling you, the enemy knows which wells the poison. So uh, this whole narrative of slavery and the, and, and the horrors of it has been wrapped around God's perfect intent for our nation, which is to preach the gospel and bring the gospel to the nations of the earth. So this is why it's a major thing. This is why we need to understand the times and seasons. And so Moses had to grow into his calling because of his doubts and apprehensions. How many of you can relate to that? <laughs> How many of you can be like, yeah, you know what, I, I, I struggle with this. How many of you are sitting there right now thinking, don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are sitting there right now thinking, this is good for like Pastor Dave and Pastor Josh and maybe a few others, but I'm not that. Come on, be honest. We struggle with this sometimes, but here's the reality. 
There's a man who just went home to be with the Lord yesterday. Maybe you didn't know that. I shared a similar message to this yesterday, and I mentioned him. Josh created a slide for me like 20 minutes ago. Thank you, Josh. This man has seen roughly 75 to 80 million people come to the Lord through his evangelistic ministry, mostly in Africa. But he had a moment early on in his ministry where he was feeling insecure. He was, the, uh, he was not supposed to be the speaker for this conference, but the main speaker canceled. Had to cancel, was sick or something. And so the guy who was in charge of the conference said, okay, Reinhardt, it's your turn to speak. And he panicked. He said, Lord, what am I going to say to these people? Most of them are older than me. They have more experience than me. They're more spiritual than me. What am I going to say? Early on in his ministry, and the Lord said this to him, my word in your mouth is the same as my word in my mouth. And it changed his ministry changed his world, changed his life, where he came to a place where he was able to accept that if he would open his mouth, God would fill his mouth with his word. And I'm telling you, the people who've done incredible things for God, Moses, Reinhard Bonnke, we'll talk about Mary in a minute, all these people had the same doubts that you and I have. They just made a decision at a point in time to say, Lord, If you say you'll put your word in my mouth, I'll believe that. I'm I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you that for most believers, the only difference, and I love the word that came forth this morning, right? That God's dealing with our belief systems. For most believers, the only difference is whether we've chosen to believe that God will fill our mouths with his word or not. That, that can be the, the total difference as to what makes a difference in, in your ministry or in your life. And you might not have a formal ministry, but I'm telling you, you have a sphere of influence. And everywhere you have a sphere of influence, God's anointed you to bring His Word into that situation. It doesn't matter if you're, just, if you're a homeschool mom like my wife, and you're mostly with four little people all day. Speak the Word of the Lord to them. You might travel all over the place and do all kinds of things. You might have a job where you go into other people's homes and work on their plumbing or on their electric or on their, you build things or whatever it is. You might do that. Listen, you have an opportunity to go into people's homes. Speak the word of the Lord. And so when something like this happens, we need to hear what God's saying. We're in this season and this man of God went home and graduated And I was sharing, like I said, a similar message yesterday and shared this story not knowing that he had just gone home. So let's just take a moment right now because I like to to grab the moments. let's, Let's stretch our hands to the Lord for a moment. Father, right now, Lord, I thank you for what what grace Reinhard Bonnke walked in. To believe that you could fill his mouth with your word to the degree that 75, 80 million people came to the Lord. Lord, what? I cannot imagine the celebration in heaven that's going on right now. But Father, we're thanking You, Lord, for some of that grace. Lord, even as He's graduated. Lord, some of the grace of what He carried coming on us even right now today. 
Father, I thank you for, for you releasing an impartation to us. Lord, not that we would have his mantle and one person would have it, Lord, but that it would fall on a whole generation. Lord, that this ability to just believe that you would fill our mouths with your word and that the word would carry weight and that the word would bear fruit. Father, I thank you for rece- we receive the impartation of that today. In Jesus' name, amen. So you need to expect that you're going to say things now and people are going to hear you that couldn't hear you before. Come on. When there's a greater weight on your words. You know, there's this story. Uh, it happened in Philadelphia of, of the founding fathers and the people who were trying to write the Constitution. They'd all come together. And there's all this bickering and there's all this noise. And finally, they look at Ben Franklin, who his words carried weight. And they said, what do you think, Ben? And he said, I think this. I think, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically says, if not even a sparrow can fall to the ground without the Lord seeing it. How do we think we're going to build a nation without the Lord's blessing? And from that point on, those few words shifted the entire Constitutional Convention. They began to start every session with prayer. And the bickering and the contention died down and they started to get some work done. I'm telling you, God's anointing you to speak weighty words to people. I don't know who those people are. You know who they are. You know who the people in your sphere of influence are. And you're going to speak just a few words and there's going to be weight on it. Because it's the glory of God. It's the the word of the Lord. It's not even your words. It's His word in your mouth. Amen? Amen. So, Moses grows into this thing. Numbers 12, Aaron and Miriam... Complain against Moses. By the way, they complain against him because he married a black woman. Uh-oh. And, and you know what? It's so, it's so funny because when, when, that, when that happens, it's like there's this, like, this little bickering moment. And I have three older children, right? Our youngest one is, is kind of out of the mix. But I have three who I, I could lie to you and tell you that they're perfect and they never fight. But first of all, you'd know I was lying. And secondly, it's just even close to the truth. And so... So there's, there's these moments where, where I hear the, the, the din of bickering going on amongst the three. And it was almost like this moment for, for Aaron, Miriam, and Moses. And all of a sudden, God's like, I want to see the three of you at the tent of meeting now. And I'm like, I can so relate to that, right? You just hit a point where you've had enough, and you're like, I want the three of you on the couch right now. We're having a talk, right? And Dad comes in. You, you know what I'm talking about? This is that moment. And so God calls them to the tent of meeting, and this is what He says to them. He said, hear now my words. If there is... I say that too. Hear now my words. That's a good one. All right. If there is a prophet among you, I the Lord make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face even plainly and not in dark sayings. And I'm just going to skip the rest for the sake of time. But listen, that expression face-to-face is literally pay 
to pay its mouth to mouth. And Moses, towards the end of his ministry, becomes known before all the congregation of Israel as the one to whom God speaks mouth to mouth. So, if it's a little weird for you to think about being mouth to mouth with God, you're just going to have to get over that. <laughs> I know it's a little weird, but listen, it's, it's His breath in your lungs anyway. And so when we get mouth to mouth, when we get face to face with Him, all of a sudden we begin to breathe in His breath again. And then we, we receive His Word. And then that's what comes out of us. If it's not coming out of you, maybe it hasn't gotten into you in the first place. Maybe that's the issue is find some time because this side of the cross, we all have the opportunity, if we will take it, to be face to face, mouth to mouth with God. It's not reserved for just Moses. Amen? So he grows into this calling and um, there's this warning in the midst of all this. You like how I did that? Like the... I'm learning how to do these things. Dave does, you know, he uses the slides so effectively. It's so good. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm still kind of a hot mess with it, but we're getting there. And so the warning is this. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And we have to be very, very careful that in this season of God's voice, one of the temptations is going to be to harden our heart. And so we need to be very, very careful that we have a soft heart towards the Lord and towards His Word. And so, when they hardened their heart, instead of crossing over into the Promised Land, which really should have been a 40-day journey, I believe it would have been 40 days, it took them 40 years. Now, Jesus is in the wilderness 40 days, and He quotes some of the same Scriptures when, the, when, when Satan tempts Him, that basically says... Satan's trying to get him to do the same thing the children of Israel does. And he goes, I'm not going to take that path. I'm doing the 40-day wilderness thing, not the 40-year wilderness thing. So the choice is yours, 40 days or 40 years. That's an easy one. I don't know about you, but I will see you on the other side, okay? All right. So that's the warning to us. Now, I want to take a look at um, Luke chapter 1. And I'm not going to read all this for the sake of time. But, you know, we're in this Christmas season And so I love this story. In fact, I've not been able to get away from this story for several months now. I I love the story and the God's sense of humor in in what happens here. So in Luke chapter 1, we hear basically two accounts. The first account is when an angel appears to Zacharias, who's John the Baptist's father. And the second account is when an angel appears to Mary and tells her that she's carrying uh, the Messiah. And so the way these two accounts interact is amazing to me. Because that warning of if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, we've got a really good example of it right here. <laughs> so Zacharias is a, is, a, is a priest. He's in the temple. And it is what may be his one time in his entire life to go into the temple and offer incense. I was reading some commentaries on this. They, many people believe that, that, that there were so many priests in Israel in those days, maybe as many as 20,000 priests, that it would only mean then that you had one chance to go in and offer incense before the Lord. 
So here's a guy who is literally at the most holy moment of his entire life. And in that moment, an angel appears. The angel Gabriel. And I can only imagine that the angel was like, man, I have been waiting for the holiest moment of your life, Zachariah, to tell you some amazing news. You know? And so he appears to Zachariah. Zachariah, struck with fear, he realizes this is an angel. He's like, yeah, this is, this is something here, right? He's struck with fear, and he says, uh, the angel says, don't be afraid. I've come to tell you that your prayers have been answered. You and your wife Elizabeth, you're older, but you've wanted a child all your, your life together, right? And he says, I'm here to tell you, you're gonna have a baby. You know, can you imagine? Here you are burning incense in the temple. It, it's, the, it's the pinnacle of your life. And Zacharias, the, the Message Bible, puts it in, in, a, in a really good way. He, he, says, uh, he says to the angel, after the angel says you're going to have a baby, he says, do you expect me to believe that? Yeah. That would be like we would stamp that with the epic fail, you know, tag, right? And the angel, the angel, I could just imagine the angel kind of like puts his glasses down and looks over his glasses and he's like, oh, oh no, you didn't, you know, like, like he's just like, you got to be kidding me, right? And he, the angel says, I am Gabriel. He basically is like, dude, I am the messenger angel of God. I live in a place where we don't doubt something when God says it. And so he basically says to him, you know, I'm going, I'm going quickly through this for the sake of time. He says, because you have doubted this, and it's really not even doubt, it's unbelief. We'll talk about that in a second. He says, because you've not believed this, let's say it that way, you will now not be able to speak. So here's a guy who does not receive the word of the Lord, and his voice is silenced. So now let, let's just break this down here. Let's get some bullet points, because that's what we do up here. Let's do this for a minute. We have Zacharias. Let's recap. we got Mary. We're going to talk about her in a minute. But Zacharias is an adult priest. He's an older man. He should know better. He's in the temple at the holiest moment of his life, burning incense. An angel appears to him and says, I'm here to answer your prayer. And actually, in, in saying that, he's telling Zacharias, by the way, Zacharias, this is going to take away your reproach. Because in those days, if a woman was barren, it was kind of a, a, a reproach or a shame. That's why Hannah was so desperately praying that God would give her a child. Because it was a, it was a shameful thing in those times. So that's the message that the angel brings. I'm answering the prayer that you and your wife have been praying since you, you, you got married, and now I'm removing your reproach. And so Gabriel had to walk away from that one stinging a little bit. He probably went back to God and he's like, it did not go well. I had to shut him up. <laughs> and, uh, and God's like, okay, I'm going to send you now to a teenager. And he was probably like, oh, gosh. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I'll bet even angels don't like going to teach it. No, I'm just kidding. Come on. Um, <laughs> so 
so he says, I'm going to send you to a teenager, and I want you to bring a word to her. Now, we all know this story, right? The angel comes and begins to tell Mary that she's going to carry the Messiah. Now, let's, let's recap that since you know it already. Mary is a teenager, not an adult priest. Not a priest at all. She's just a girl, probably, probably somewhere between 14 and 16 years old. She's in her house. <laughs> She's not in a holy setting of any kind per se. She's just there. Yeah? And the angel appears. That's the only real commonality here is that the Word of God comes to them through an angel. And she's going, I didn't ask for this. And, and the angel doesn't say this, but we can, we can understand that this was actually going to add reproach to her life. Because for the next nine months or so, everybody was going to be talking. Actually, really all her life, they'd be talking. Well, Joseph said it wasn't his baby. Either he was lying or, or worse yet, it's not his baby. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. You have a, a, a girl who becomes, you know, a pregnant teen. Now, which one do you think would say yes to the Lord? So you have the adult priest who should know better and you have the teenager and it's the teenager who says, be it unto me according to your word, right? And so that's one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. Be it unto me according to your word. So here you go. You got Mary's song then that is this amazing song. And I want to read this for us. If you, if you got your Bibles, turn to, to Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 56, because I want you to see what God does here. You have a teenage girl who says, yes, I will receive the word of the Lord. Now, who do you think was more likely to speak profound things to, to people and to nations? The adult priest or the teenage girl? Right? This is, what, this is what I want all of us to see this morning. That if God can use a teenage girl like this, there is absolutely no reason why you and I cannot be used in the same way. Come on. And so, she begins to release this song. And let's read it. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For He has regarded the lowly state of His maidservant, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy, as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His seed forever. This song 
is so filled with Old Testament references and, 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 and just an understanding of the Word of God that many people who don't understand the miraculous nature of God and the way that He can breathe on people to speak have said, there's no way Mary could have said this. Someone else must have written this. It must have been Luke who added this. But I just choose to believe the Bible that says, and Mary said. Because I believe that God can begin to fill your mouth with incredible things when you say, yes, I'll receive your word. And so she releases all these, all these things that, that, you know, maybe she knew, maybe she didn't even know. Maybe she didn't know what she was saying. But she releases this incredible song. Listen to this. This song has been banned in some countries. As recently as 1980... Guatemala said, you may not recite this song in public. I had no idea about that. I started doing some research on this. And you know why? Because of the one little phrase in there that says, He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly ones. This song is so revolutionary it has stirred people through thousands of years. Are you hearing what I'm saying? A teenage girl has stirred the hearts of people in nations all over the world through her song. Hello? That Guatemala said, no, don't read that in public because we're afraid it'll create an uprising. Because she exalts the God of the turnaround. The one who flips everything on its head that rejects the rich and, and sends them away empty and raises up the poor, that, that brings down the lofty ones and raises up the lowly ones. Come on. She said, that's the word I'm carrying. There's a guy by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer lived and basically ministered in Nazi Germany as a pastor and a leader in that that. Moment, And this is what he said. He said, the song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn. It is at once the most passionate, the wildest, and one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary who we sometimes see in paintings. This song has none of the sweet, nostalgic, or even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. It is instead a hard, strong, inexorable song about the power of God and the powerlessness of humankind. That is what the words of a teenager stirred in the heart of a man who lived in the midst of Nazi Germany. I'm telling you, when you say yes to receive the Word of the Lord, when you say, Lord, I want to be your mouthpiece, and when you decide that you're not going to decide against God. Now let's talk about this just for one second and then we're going to wrap up. I don't know, is this when I say, Mario, can you come to the keyboard or whatever? Is this what I do? How's this work? <laughs> Still getting the hang of things, but... I think that's the, the line at this point. Listen to this for a minute. There's a difference between unbelief and a lack of faith. And I want you to hear this this morning because this is so important. 
Because we can condemn ourselves and we can condemn other people and God has no part in it. So when you are in a place of unbelief, that's where Zechariah was. And what unbelief is this. Unbelief is saying that you decide against God. In other words, God says, this is the way it's going to be, and you say, no, that's impossible. It will not be that way. Right. I, I knew there was a, a great teacher that, that, uh, that I've listened to over the years, and he, he's very old now and does not minister as much anymore, but his teachings are just off the charts. And early on in his ministry, he didn't believe in healing. Now, he very much believes in healing now, but he said, early in my ministry, I didn't believe in healing, and so there was a woman in my church who had come to a place of such desperation in her, in her physical body that she asked me to come pray for her for healing, and just out of courtesy, because she was in a tough spot, I said yes, although I did not believe in healing. This woman had some kind of a, I think a tumor or some kind of growth or something, it, it, somewhere in her brain that had grown so that she was physically growing at age 50. She was starting to physically grow again. She had outgrown her clothes. She had outgrown her shoes. Crazy situation, right? And so he said, I went over and I prayed for her. I was just trying to be pastorly and nice and, and you know, do what I, what I could do to, to make her feel better. He said he put her hands on her to pray for her and he physically felt her shrink. He said she went back, she got her shoes, she got her clothes, her old clothes, she outgrown all that stuff. He said she, he, she got all that stuff, put it on, and it all fit. He said all of that happened in front of him, and he still said to the Lord, I don't believe it. Now that's unbelief. <laughs> but listen, hear me. It's not always quite that obvious to us that we're in unbelief. Sometimes it can be as simple as you sitting there in your seat going, I know all the stuff you're saying about this, but that couldn't be me. And I'm telling you today, God's saying it absolutely could be you. In fact, it is you. So what God's doing is he's uprooting. Come on. That word came forth today that the angels are here even. To deal with the unbelief. Thank God that Gabriel told Zacharias, you're just done, buddy. You're not going to say anything. Because Zacharias gets a second chance. And after, after he sees what God does, he, he, he then begins to prophesy after John's born. Come on, there's always a second chance. But, but I'm telling you, if we decide against God, if we say, God, this is what you said, but it can't really be this way, even though we may not consciously realize that's what we're doing, that's what God's got to uproot out of us. Because that is poisonous. Now, the other side of the coin is Mary even said to the angel, as she said to Gabriel, when, when he said, you're going to have a baby, Mary. And she said, how can that be? Because I've not known a man. Now, she's asking him, how's this going to happen? She never said, no, that's not going to happen. She's saying, I don't understand how this is going to happen. How many of you have promises God's made you over your life? And you say, God, I don't understand how this is going to happen, but I know you're going to do it. Come on. Come on. Come on. So that's a good place to be. 
And so we can sometimes, we can sometimes criticize ourselves and worse yet, criticize others that, we're, oh, you're in a place of unbelief. Well, this person didn't get healed because of unbelief. Listen, let me tell you something. Anybody who comes and asks for prayer is not in a place of unbelief. If you're asking for prayer, it means you believe God can heal you. Now, there was a person in the Bible who said, I believe, help my unbelief. And really what is going on there is he's saying, I believe, but help my lack of faith. And when we say to God, help my lack of faith, strengthen me in that place of faith and, 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 and trust that you're going to do it even when I don't see the way. That's where God wants us to be. And so we, we need to just break off all that stuff today. So if we've been in places of unbelief, Lord, right now we repent for our unbelief. Lord, we say everywhere where we've, we've known it, everywhere where we've not known it, Father, we thank You today that the angels are here to touch us and to minister to us, to uproot unbelief out of our lives. Father, we thank You today that where we've had weak faith, where we've not decided against You, but we've not been able to, to really lay hold of what You said, Father, we thank You today that You're strengthening us in our faith. Father, I thank You that You're helping us to to receive Your Word today so that we can release Your Word today. Come on. Father, we declare that we are in a season of Your Word yeah. being released in the earth. And Lord, we just say, come on, if you can agree with this, just lift your hands for a moment. Lord, we say we want to be Your mouthpiece in the earth. Lord, use our hearts, use our lips, Lord, to release Your Word like You did with Mary. Lord, that we would receive what You're saying and we would allow it to take root in us. We would allow Your Word to be made flesh in us so that it could be manifested in the earth. Lord, we want to see heaven come to earth. We want to see Your perfect will done on earth. That Your Word would find a home in us. That we would receive it and then release it. So Lord, we declare today, even as Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, You touched the coal to His lips. We say, Lord, touch the coal to our lips this morning. Cleanse our mouths. We give our mouths to You in this season of the mouth. We say we are Yours, Lord. We release Your Word. And we thank You, Father. We thank You even for the angels right now who, who You told Daniel had come for His words. Lord, I thank You that angels have come for our words. And Father, we thank You that angels have come to minister to us today to uproot every belief system that's not what you have for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Clap it off.